Well, welcome again to all of you who have come in, and we're grateful to have you and uh, hope we can become acquainted with many of you. I often ask people their names, and then I go around and talk to 50 others and come back and ask them all over again. I think, oh, I can't remember all the names, but I'll try. It's sure good to have you here, and when we go out to your churches in a smaller situation, we can get acquainted even better. But uh, this LCG youth program has been a very fine thing, and all of us uh, certainly are very grateful for our youth and our Living Church of God youth and all of us, and I think all of your brethren know that, I hope you know it, we have an absolutely awesome future. We really do. We have an absolutely awesome future. And I hope our young people can come to realize that perhaps even better than perhaps some have. I want to speak on that this afternoon. Brethren, we are at the end of an age, and I don't want to harp on that this evening. I think all of us know that. We really are having a lot of things happen that never happened before. A lot of our young people don't get it because they didn't live over the last 50 or 70 or 76 years or whatever to see how badly the world has changed. There was just an article the other day in Newsweek called Pax Americana has come to an end. You know, they used to speak about Pax Romana and Pax Britannia, that is the peace that was sort of ensured over that part of the world by the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, and then later by the British Empire, and they kept a kind of a peace. But now it's been Pax Americana since the Second World War particularly. But America, with the help of Britain and Canada and Australia and our Israelitish nations, frankly, have kept the peace all over the world. Otherwise, a lot of our nations and a lot of other nations in Central and South America, parts of Europe and around the world would not have the peace. They would be part of Nazi Germany or they would be part of the Soviet Union and anyone who objected would be sent to a gulag for mine conditioning and their lives would never be the same again. But God has used Israel as the balance of peace for many, many years now, for about 200 years, and we can be very grateful that we've had part of that. But that is now coming to an end, and many of the magazine writers and news analysts have come to realize that. It's not working anymore. World conditions are changing rapidly. We have Islamic terrorism. My wife and I were seeing more on the television. Even last night we watched the news, not stupid stuff on television, but the world on BBC especially, they give more real-world news. And sometimes on CNN at the end, they have this Glenn Beck. And boy, he has some powerful stuff. A guy, guy named Glenn Beck, B-E-C-K, if you haven't heard him. And he really gets in and analyzes things very powerfully. And he had on there, we actually had seen it before, but his interview with Benjamin Netanyahu, the former prime minister of, of Israel, and how that he showed that Iran wants to run the world, and of course these Muslim terrorists do. And Israel is just a way stop, just a stopping point along the way, on the way over here. And that's true. When you read their own writings, you will see that. And it's changing our entire world, and going to change it a lot more. In fact, the newscasts have told us recently that they're going to be surprised if they get through this Christmas New Year season without some terrorist attack in Britain. And we might have one right here during this season. We don't know that, but certainly things are changing. The weather the, the, the weather's not the same. We're having more powerful earthquakes than we have ever had more frequently. We're having more powerful storms more frequently. And again, the older folks often realize that. The weather people know that. It's happening. 
And we have a powerful Roman Catholic Church that's going to develop and develop far more powerfully over the next several years than it has done in the last few hundred years. And the beast power will be rising in Europe. And you young people have heard about it and heard about it. Some are bored. But it is going to happen just before your eyes. And when it really does happen, it will not be boring. It will begin to happen pretty quickly. The American dollar has been going down consistently for the last few years and is going to keep on going down. And our entire way of life is going to change. Your way of life is going to change over the next five to seven years dramatically and perhaps even sooner than that. But I'll put it out there. I don't mean Christ will come in that time. I'm just saying your way of life will change in that time. But we, as we see the world crashing around us, we have a magnificent hope and an awesome future. And we really do need to think about that more, about what God himself has in mind, because it is absolutely wonderful when you think about it and when you understand it. And I hope all of us can realize that. We need to listen to the Bible, read the Bible, honestly study the Bible, and believe what God's Word actually says. We read over some of these things, and somehow it seems way off. But as these things start crashing around us, we're going to realize this is real. Or a tiny little church. I understand that. I understand that very well. I pray fervently almost every morning, God give us more growth, help us have an impact on this world. They need what we have to give, and we're the only one out there giving it, frankly, in the way we're doing. We're not just talking and trying to put down all the other groups and say, if you go meet with them, we'll kick you out of our church. We have a couple of groups that do that, dictators. And then at the other extreme, we have liberals. And we're in between. Do we have the perfect balance in the living church of God? No, we don't. Only Jesus Christ had the perfect balance, but we're working on it. And we're trying to do our level best. But we're preparing the way for a real kingdom of God that's soon going to be set up. And we've got to read the Bible. Most of you have to read the Bible more than you've been doing. That's where the answer is. And a lot of our own church people don't read our church literature, very much at least, and they don't really study the Bible. You ask them a question, they can't understand. That's the proof. But we've got to believe what God actually says. So let's learn to do that, brethren, and think about the real, the absolutely real good news that is just ahead. Turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. They've been talking here in this early verses, these early verses about the lame man that Peter and John healed, raised him right up in the name of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 11, now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John there in Solomon's porch near the temple, they all ran together. And so when Peter saw it, Peter always took the lead. He was the leader. God always had a primary leader at any area of time or over one over the Jews later, one over the Gentiles as it developed. But Peter was the leader. He always took the lead when you see that. Not a mystery. He responded, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this or look so intently as by our own power or godliness we have made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Think about That's the real God. You don't have to say Yahweh. They have these Yahweh people, sacred name people. They didn't always say that in the New Testament. They called him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He's called the creator God, all kinds of things. But he glorified his servant. Shouldn't be child, but servant, Jesus. The King James often has child like he was a little baby. No, he's God's servant at the right hand of God the Father. That's a mistranslation. 
his servant, Jesus, whom you've delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you, you guys sitting out there, Peter's very plain. You denied the Holy One and the just and asked a murder to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. My brethren, this is the gospel. Some people don't like to hear about Jesus Christ being part of the gospel. But when you read chapter 1 of Acts, when you read chapter 2 of Acts, when you read chapter 3 of Acts, which we're doing right here, when you read chapter 4 of Acts, and when you read almost every single chapter of Acts, it's all centered around Jesus Christ. Yes, the kingdom of God is mentioned. But Jesus Christ is mentioned even more often because He's the King of that coming kingdom and He's our Savior. And you can't get into that kingdom without Jesus Christ. And God raised Him from the dead. And His name, through faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. They had a radiant faith back then, which we lack, sadly. And so they had immediate healings quite often. Yes, the faith which comes through Him, Jesus Christ, has given him this perfect soundness. God totally healed this man in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance. He knew they were blinded, as did your rulers. But those which, things which God has foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent. That's another part of the gospel. The world says, just give your heart to the Lord. Accept Jesus into your life. Well, one guy says, invite Jesus into your life. Like, well, I, well, Lord, I just invite you into my life and I'll go along, but just sort of invite you to come along for the ride. No, the first thing John the Baptist said was repent. The first thing Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, repent and believe the gospel. Peter said the first thing in Acts 2, 36 to 8, in the sermon on the day of Pentecost, repent in the name of Jesus Christ and be baptized. And here he says again, repent therefore, and be converted deeply, abhor yourself, and change. And brethren, many of us are in the church, but we may not be changing as much as we should. And some of you young people look around and you say, well, this church has imperfect people. I know that. I'm real familiar with it. My wife is real familiar with it because she lives with one who's <laughs> <It was> imperfect. <laughs> and sometimes I tell her, I said, you know, the only... Really good people are you and me, but I'm worried about you. She says, yes, but I'm worried about you even more. <laughs> so we all worry about one another. We're all imperfect. But nevertheless, we have to repent, and we have to repent every day and really mean it, that we're trying to change and be more like God and more like Christ. And I hope for you young people, don't wait till you find perfect people in the church until you give your life to God. Because you're going to be waiting a long time if you wait till everybody's perfect. But as a whole, we reflect God's character, I think. And we need to do it even better. And that's the reason I'm preaching at these old guys sitting out here, you young people. <laughs> and I'm preaching at you too. We all need to get more like Christ. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send Jesus Christ. This is part of the gospel. Christ died for your sins. That is so wonderful. That is magnificent good news. You can be absolutely forgiven of your sins if you really repent and really accept Jesus Christ not only as your Savior, and you should do that as your Savior, and realize you need a Savior. 
And you young people need a Savior. You do. You're mixed up, a lot of you. You've never been baptized, you. And you who have not been baptized are out there, and you need a Savior. Most of you know that, but think about it. That's a very important part of considering baptism. You need a Savior. You need to be forgiven. And all of us needed to be forgiven. And some of us may not have fully repented even yet, and I know that, so we're not perfect here before you. But your sins may be blotted out, and that Christ may be sent. That's the second part of the gospel. Christ will send, come back again. You have forgiveness of your sins, and then the kingdom of God will come. And, of course, you receive the Holy Spirit to help you grow and overcome and prepare for the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, a time is coming soon, which God, notice this, God has spoken of this restoration or restitution of all things by the mouth of all. This is quite a statement. The mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. Every single one of God's prophets spoke of this coming time, a time of cleaning up, a time of restoring, a time of God's government, a kind of time of peace on this earth. And I'll tell you, most people don't even begin to start to understand that. In 19 years in the Methodist church and occasionally going with Jimmy uh, Porter over the um, community church and, and one of the two of the other guys to the Presbyterian church, my friends I had these 25 friends I talk about and hearing various preachers on the radio from the different Protestants never heard anything about it from any of those churches about Christ coming back and setting up a government here on this earth based on God's laws. They never talked about it. just wasn't commented on. But God talks about it all the time. A very real government. Kingdom means government. I returned from the United Kingdom of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II quite a number of years ago when I lived over there. And, of course, then I go back and forth and visit there today. Her kingdom means government. And the kingdom of God is the government of God. And we have to really understand that. So we need to understand that all have talked about tomorrow's world. All God's servants, all God's true prophets. And Christ certainly wants us to be involved. And that's part of the true gospel. A vital key to understand the true gospel, brethren, and to understand these prophecies and understand God's whole way of life is often not emphasized even by us perhaps as much as it should be. I intend to do it more, and I want to get on the television and do this. I got to thinking about it and, and uh, writing an article about it. Mr. Ames doesn't meet me to it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, he never seizes my material, so we kid each other. But anyway, so I want to talk on that, and all of us should, and that is that Christ... I mean, I'm sorry that Christ is often separated. That's the way I like to word it now as I've thought about it. Christ is often separated from the Old Testament. The Protestant and Catholic leaders, going way back when they started, have separated Christ from the Old Testament. And they start with just Christ's physical life and His teaching, as they understand it, with a carnal mind, and each one of them taking bits and pieces of that, and not the whole thing at all. Because, you know, he said, if you had entered a life, keep the commandments. Remember, Matthew 19, 17. So they don't talk about that part. They just grab other parts and put it together with their human reason. But if they would realize that Jesus Christ was the God of Israel 
And I've preached whole sermons on that many times, so I don't want to take time to repeat that. We've had articles on that. Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the one who was the Word, the Logos, the spokesman of the Old Testament. For that great God being said, let there be light at creation, that was Christ speaking. When the Lord God of Israel spoke the Ten Commandments and said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, that was Christ speaking. He gave the Sabbath to mankind at the beginning in the Garden of Eden, acting for God the Father, of course, and He gave it again in a codified form from the top of Mount Sinai. When you separate Christ from the Old Testament, then you can play a lot of funny games. And that's what the world has done. And that's why most of the world does not understand the true Christ of the Bible. That's why they don't understand the true Christianity of the Bible at all. They've separated well, let's go back at this time without preaching that sermon. That might be a good sermon today too, but I wanted to preach something more for the youth today and for all of us in that connection about tomorrow's world, about this wonderful hope and future that we have. Turn back to Isaiah, and I could go through Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the other scriptures here, as you know, but I'm going to concentrate a little more on Isaiah today. I want to get something up here to hold this uh, particular uh, thing. Just let the lets my notebook slide down so I can't see it, so I'll prop it up. <laughs> Normally, our stand at the office is not quite as steep. Anyway, turn back to Isaiah chapter 11, brethren. Isaiah 11, if you would. Most of you are familiar with this. Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and counsel, understanding, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the eternal. A being was going to come along having that tremendous wisdom and, and Spirit of God. Verse 4, With righteousness he shall judge the poor, and with equity the meek of the earth. Christ is coming to judge, to rule, to guide the earth. At that time, it says in verse 6, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, little child shall lead them. I'm just having some high points here. I don't read every word, as you'll see. You, you know, we, we read that. We think, well, that's interesting. That's kind of poetic, and people read that in Sunday school. But this is really going to happen. And I want you younger people to understand, those of you who are under 30, the people under 30 used to say, don't trust anyone over 30, remember, back in the hippie generation. <laughs> but you who are under 30, we trust you too, but you don't know a lot of things. But you also have an advantage that we don't have. Nearly all of you, unless you're killed in the coming tribulation, will live right on over physically into tomorrow's world. I should say physically, but you, as spirit beings, or physical, and you'll be there. Some of us may die, of course, and be spirit, absolutely, but some of you and some of our grandchildren who are even under 10 or under whatever may live in over even physically. They may not be quite old enough to be converted and be baptized. But you young people are going to see this world, whether it's a spirit being in the family of God or as a physical person, yet old enough, in your case, if you're just 18 or 20, probably old enough to be a leader under the spirit beings as kings or priests or teachers or mayors or governors over parts of this earth as part of the government of God. So it's going to be very exciting and the world will really be at peace. And the nursing child, verse 8, shall play by the cobra's hole 
And a weaned child put his hand on a viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy at all my holy mountain. And the word mountain, of course, is used for kingdom throughout the Bible. In that day the earth will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The whole earth will begin to know God's ways. And in that day there will be a root of Jesse. To him shall even the Gentiles seek. Not just people who are descendants of Israel. I'm a descendant of Israel through the four parts of the British family, more or less. English, Irish, Scottish, and Welsh. But I'm partly German and partly Cherokee Indian, as I mentioned. I'm not ashamed of that. A lot of us are mixed up. We have various bloodlines in us, but God is going to make us all one in God's family. We will be spirit beings. And you ladies will not be female. And we men will not be men in the sense we are today exactly. There will be no marriage in the kingdom of God. There will be no sex. We will be spirit beings on a higher dimension of human, or not of human, but of existence. Not human existence but existence as spirit beings in the family of God. A whole different way of looking at everything and that when that time comes, yet we'll have total love and outflowing concern and wisdom from the great God when we're born of His Spirit. And so the kingdom of God will be set up. Verse 14, it will come to pass in that day, the eternal will set His hand again the second time. He brought back Israel once, you know, from the Assyrian captivity, parts of them at least, and he brought back, of course, Judah all together and from that time. But the second time, he's going to recover them from Assyria, modern Germany, and Egypt, Pathras, Cush, these other areas. And he will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah, Israel and Judah. Again, some of you young people in the church may not fully understand how important that distinction is. The world they think Israel means Jew and Jew means Israel. Well, all Californians or all North Carolinians, I'd better transport myself over here now, I'm living here. All North Carolinians are Americans, right? But all Americans are not North Carolinians. North Carolina is just part of America. Judah was part of Israel. But the other 11 tribes were not Jews. They were uh, Israel, although, of course, Benjamin was of the house of Israel, though not the tribe of Israel and the Levites. But the rest of them were of the house of Israel. And you find the house of Israel and the house of Judah fighting each other for over 200 years in the Bible. Different nations at for a long time. And then Israel went off into captivity and most of them never came back. But he says they're going to come back together finally at the end. Also, the envy of Ephraim shall depart. Some have been jealous of the British. And the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah. And Judah shall not harass Ephraim. And so on. So there's going to be a tremendous time of change in tomorrow's world. And we need to really think about that as a reality. Now, as you turn to chapter 12, you just skim over that. You'll see that's a kind of a little chapter of thanksgiving here. And then chapter 13, the burden against Babylon. So now he begins to describe not Assyria, but modern Babylon, kind of the Assyrians as part of Babylon at the end, which brings down. Talking about ancient Babylon, but a dual prophecy describing modern Babylon. So you could say that's kind of insert, although very important insert. But then he comes back to Israel and the theme again in chapter 14. For the eternal will have mercy on Jacob, chapter 14, verse 1, and will yet choose Israel and settle them in their own land. 
that strangers will be joined with them and they will cling to the house of Jacob. People from all over the world are going to realize you people are God's people and they're going to want to join us. And as you read a lot of these scriptures, you can sort of see there's a certain duality here. Part of it is the people of Israel physically and he's also talking about spiritual Israel, the church, and some of the chapters intermingled because all of you who may be of the black race or the brown race or whatever, you're going to be dealt with by God and be in God's family. And you'll share it in a lot of these things as well, very definitely. So they're going to settle them in their own land. He's talking primarily about the people of Israel that had to suffer so much, though, the Americans, the British-descended people who've gone into captivity. And they will cling to the house of Jacob. Then people will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them for servants and maids in the land of the Lord. And by the way, the original land of the Lord, as you know, if you read the Bible carefully, extended all the way from the Euphrates River over to the Mediterranean and from way down in southern Lebanon, way on up into the Sinai an area about as large as the eastern third of the United States of America, a huge area. You read the description of the boundaries of Israel as God originally gave it. Israel never had all that. They had a lot of it, but it's going to be that way in tomorrow's world, absolutely. So it's going to bring a lot of our children, if they've gone into slavery, a lot of our relatives and friends, if they live through the tribulation, back, weeping and repenting, and they'll come back to that little land at first. And then, no doubt, go out again to recolonize Britain, the British Isles, America, and elsewhere, as if God gave those lands to us as well. And they will possess them for servants and maids in the land of the Lord, and they will take them captives whose captives they were. Well, the people in the beast power are going to take us as slaves. God says that over and over. But we later, God says, I'm going to make it up to you. These are real things that are going to be very exciting and rule over their oppressors. So God has things like this all the way through the Old Testament talking about that coming time. Turn now, if you would, to Isaiah 47. Turn to Isaiah 47 at this point, brethren. And here's another a very basic uh, prophecy here that we've often talked about. Isaiah 47, verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. So now he's talking about a modern Babylon at the time of the end. You'll no more be called tender and delicate. I'll take vengeance on you, he says. Verse 5. Sit in silence. Go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you'll no longer be called the lady of kingdoms. Now, brethren, if you read Revelation 17 and 18, you will see he's later, or God had guided John to actually write about this using the same phraseology. This is that same system described many years later when John wrote the book of Revelation. I was angry with my people have profaned my inheritance. And over and over he calls Israel his inheritance. I've given them into your hand the hand of a modern Babylon, a ten-nation United States of Europe described in Revelation chapter 17. Modern Babylon, you showed them no mercy on the elderly. You laid your yoke. And a yoke always personifies and describes a time of slavery, a yoke of slavery. 
And also you said, I shall be a lady forever. So you do not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end. Therefore hear this, you who say, I am, there's no one else beside me. I said as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. But these two things will come on to you in a moment and one day, and in the loss of children and widowhood. Read it, Revelation 18, verses 7 and 8. It's almost identical. That's what is about to happen in a few years when modern Babylon takes us into slavery and God prophesied of it back here. His people going into slavery to uh, Babylon at that time. Then in chapter 48, and I'd like to read all the scriptures in between. You need to realize how this thread keeps on going. Go forth from Babylon, free from the Chaldees, with the voice of singing. Now he's talking about coming out of this slavery. Declare this, utter it from the end of the earth. The Eternal has redeemed His servant Jacob. So God is going to bring us back, our children, our youth, our grandchildren. They did not thirst when He led them through the deserts and brought them out, out of the place with no waters. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. He goes on in chapter 49, as you will notice, and describes there, of course, what's going to happen. And he says in verse 8, In an acceptable time I've heard you, and in a day of salvation, as it should be, as the Jewish version has, I've helped you, that you may say to the prisoners, Go forth to those in darkness, show yourself. So he's going to bring them out and bring them back again. Now, in chapter uh, 60, the story flow keeps right on going through the whole book of Isaiah. And I just want to hit a few, a few high spots to help us realize what's ahead. He says in chapter 60 of Isaiah, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The people of the Lord will rise over, or the Lord will arise over you. His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles will come to your light, and kings of the earth to your rising. He says, your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Talking about this magnificent coming time when Christ regathers all of Israel. Then you will see and become radiant. Your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Now, brethren and young people, often you think, perhaps without realizing it, that God doesn't say specific wonderful things are going to happen. But when you read these verses carefully, you can see that your friends and your relatives out on the earth, if they live on through this coming time and are brought back, or some of you don't listen now and you're brought back and you're willing to learn, God is absolutely going to pour out double and more, just like He did on Job. When God humbled Job and He finally learned His lesson, as you remember, he gave him double. And he's going to do that to the people now because God does want to bless. He does want to cause our people to have magnificent, obviously, make magnificent even physical things. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels, he uses Old Testament analogies here, of course, and, and examples. They'll bring gold and incense. And verse 8, who are these that fly like a cloud? Surely the coastlands will wait for me to bring your sons from afar and their silver and gold with them. Verse 10, The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. Remember we just read that back in Isaiah 14? 
literal kings and dictators, the Muqtada al-Sadras, you know, some of these even false uh, priests and preachers and leaders of these uh, Islamic people will come back and actually help our people later when they're converted. For in my wrath I struck you, he says. Yes, he's going to have to strike our peoples to wake us up because we've been going along and taking for granted a way of life and now we're having more sin. We were reading the other day and I was showing them clipping to Monica and have, asking her to file it for me that four out of ten babies born in America today are illegitimate babies, technically called bastards in the Bible. Four out of ten, almost half, in our nation right now were born illegitimately. And most of them are not to the teens as it was earlier. They're saying most of them are born to women in their 30s and 40s who ought to know better. But as the article brought out that I tore out of this paper or Newsweek magazine, whatever it was, was showing how marriage is not considered a prerequisite for having children anymore. You can go ahead and have children whether you have a husband or not. So they're just going ahead and doing this, and they bring up these little boys without a father, and then the little boys turn right around and brutalize the women, rape them, beat them up, kill them, because they don't have a father as they grew up to teach them and to make them behave themselves. It's a vicious cycle. We want what we want right now. And, of course, the men are equally responsible Absolutely. But that's what's happening in our nation, so-called Christian nation. No wonder God's going to spank us. So he is going to humble us. And my wrath I struck you, but in my mercy I've had favor on you, or, or favor I've had mercy on you. Therefore your gates shall be opened continually, and they shall not be shut by night or day when God brings our people back to land of safety, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles, and their kings in procession. For the nation and the kingdom which shall not serve you shall perish. Again, we just read over this. Wow, you think about it. Our people, at a few years, if they're brought back as they begin to learn God's ways, are going to have people literally from all over this earth coming up and saying, teach us the right way. You've learned it first. And they will bring wealth they will bring gold and silver and food and jewelry and everything you can imagine up to these people. And God will guide that and cause it to be that way. The great God of Israel, the God of creation whom we serve. So it's something that we have to understand and appreciate as an awesome reality. He says in verse 15, Whereas you've been forsaken and hated. Yes, America is going to be forsaken and hated. And Britain and the British peoples, Canada. Australia, New Zealand, the descendants of Joseph primarily, so that no one went through you once we've been punished and brought down. I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy to many generations. You shall drink dry the milk of the Gentiles. You shall milk the breast of kings. You shall know that I am the eternal, your Savior. And when you think about it again, brethren, Christ is our Savior. And he was the Savior back then and is going to be the Savior in a double sense in tomorrow's world. He's going to save them spiritually if they accept him as their Savior from their sins. But physically, as their king, as the leading teacher, he's going to guide them, rescue them, teach them, lead them in the way that they should go. And we're there as helpers under Jesus Christ to do all this. 
And you young people are called to be leaders. Leaders in tomorrow's world. This is your opportunity. This is your calling. Years ago when I was a young man, too old to do this, of course, was in the 1960s, but President Kennedy came along. And, of course, he had these programs for the youth and has challenged them, you know, to go out and be a member of the Peace Corps. The Peace Corps. And help people all over the world who are suffering. And an amazing number of young people responded. And as Mr. Lambert Greer was bringing out, a lot of our young people in the church have responded to help out, you know, on the youth program in the summer camp over the years. And we're grateful for that. But there's an even bigger calling, a more magnificent calling that's coming. And that is the chance to really straighten out this mess here on this earth in a way it's never been straightened out. And Christ will be the leader, your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, cheaper things, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood and bronze, and instead of stones, I will make your officers peace. In other words, instead of being the lowly ones, you will be the top ones. And your magistrates' righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land. Again, you've read in the last few days how the crime rate is going up once again. More murders, robberies, rapes, everything. It won't be heard in tomorrow's world. It just won't be there. It just won't be there. I remember back in the 1940s when the Second World War is raging and most of the young men who usually caused most of the trouble, I was one too, <laughs> but they were off at war. Why, my sister Catherine, Mrs. Ames sitting here, used to take her violin lesson over at Mrs. Porter's. I think she'll remember this. And uh, sometimes in the winter, they, they would come home after dark. And my mother was a little tiny woman, about six, about five foot one, five foot one and pretty weak by that time. Of course, I felt pretty strong. I was a teenager. And so my mother said, well, I'll go and meet Catherine. Sometimes we, she had me, but sometimes she ended up doing it. And I kind of smiled. I thought, yeah, you're going to be a big help. <laughs> and I don't know if Catherine realized that. Here's this little old lady wandering along. <laughs> what if they had some big tufts like they do today? You know, they could have taken my mother with one hand and thrown her through the bushes or through the wall or anything. It wouldn't have you know, made any difference. So today, if she were in some slum and some big guy grabbed her, but no one ever grabbed her. And I used to explore the sewers, the, uh, sewers you know, and the, uh, what do they call, I guess, uh, of Joplin. You know, you get down and go through, and we met some drunks down there a few times. And But anyway, some of us boys, and they never bothered us. They just had too much to drink. Never heard of a rape in Joplin. I guess we had a few murders, but it was more of a safe time. Not totally safe, but a lot of times we didn't lock our home. But we're not living in that kind of time today. We're living in a different world and you can't let your older mother or your daughter go wandering around in the darkness. You better not in most cities today. But any place on earth is going to be like that in a few years from now. And it isn't just a matter of that kind of safety, but the matter of love and kindness and outflowing concern and genuine warmth and a depth of a peace of mind that the world has never seen before, ever, 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 to the same degree. You read... And, of course, my wife and I sing the BBC News almost every single night. You see about Somalia and Eritrea and how they're butchering each other. And Idi Amin and how he butchered the people in Uganda and in the Congo and all those areas. How there have already been about 200,000 people slaughtered in Darfur. It's already been genocide. 
And they keep having a meeting and they'll have another meeting and they'll have another meeting and nothing has ever happened. And now the Secretary General says he thinks they're going to have something happen. I doubt it. To make it safer there. But the world is going to get worse and worse. It's not going to get better. And as most of you know, and you girls, I don't want to embarrass you or any boys or anyone else, but you know down there in various parts of Africa and Asia and the Middle East, women are absolutely trashed and humiliated and treated like dogs and worse than you'd ever treat a dog. And as you're reading about these John John Jaweed warriors that come into there into Darfur and these other parts of Africa and how they raid these villages and they rape all the women and kill the men and then they go charging off. Women humiliated, some of them gang raped, little children, little girls, six or eight years old, torn apart, their body, their mind, their emotions will never be the same again. You know that. Think about it. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you that is what this world is coming to more and more and more. Jesus Christ needs to come again. If there is a God in heaven and He inspired this book and He did, He will send His Son back. And brethren and you young people, we need to get excited about that fact. The true Christ of the Bible is coming again soon. We should say hallelujah. Praise unto God. We really should feel that way. Yet we've heard it, well, you know. So when these things start happening even more, it'll be more exciting. I understand that. And I pray that God will help people wake up. And I pray every now and then that God will even shake the nations to wake them up for their own good. Shake the nations. David said that they may know themselves to be but men. But I say, Father, please shake your church, our part of the church, all the different Church of God groups, so they can sort of wake up and get real. Because many of them are not real. They just sort of join the church of their choice and go here and go there. What's the whole purpose of church? To learn the truth of God. To worship God in spirit and in truth. What is the truth? Jesus said, John 17, 17, My word or thy word is truth. Which church explains the truth of God more fully? Which church explains the whole purpose of human existence more fully? The true church of God. Most of you know that. That's why you're here. But the world doesn't understand. They just go where they have the best youth choir, the best youth program, or the best handsome young minister, or whatever they're looking for. So they don't get the picture. They don't get the picture. They don't understand Anyway, God shows all through these chapters that He's going to bring His people back and bless them and bless them and bless them immeasurably. And I hope we can really get that. He says in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Here's the scripture Jesus quoted when He first preached, remember, there in the synagogue. Because He's uh, anointed me to preach good tidings, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty. Well, that's where he stopped, I think. You're praying liberty to the captives. I think he stopped right there in Luke when he first gave his first sermon. But then this, the verses go right on. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Oh, wow. Prison. What prison? The coming great tribulation to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I guess that's where Christ stopped. And the day of vengeance. That's where he stopped before he got to that part. And the day of vengeance of our God 
the day of the Lord because he was preaching a little bit of the first part because Christ first came to bring them out of spiritual captivity and blindness to help them that far. But the day of vengeance of our God was going to happen 2,000 years later at the time of the end to comfort those who mourn. And brethren, and you young people, when the people come back weeping and repenting, as the Bible shows they will over and over, they're going to be saying in a sense, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. I wish I'd listened. And some will be blind, some will be deaf, some will have their arms or legs cut off. I've told you before, don't want to wear a local church out, but one of the most memorable experiences of my life was the trip, I, my first trip to Europe, often the first of anything, is, is special. And I went there with Richard David Armstrong in 1954 and spent three and one-half months solid living with Dick every single day, sharing twin beds in the same room and the same bathroom and taking turns praying in the bathroom and carrying on and so on. But when we finally came to Germany to make the story a little shorter without telling more about that trip, I had never even started to commence to get ready to see as many people with half their face blown off, their arm, an ear missing, an eye put out, scars all over them. And one day, not to embarrass anyone, Dick and I were in the men's room in the urinal and we were standing at the appropriate place <coughs> and someone was sleeping behind us. Oh, that's fine. And all of a sudden, I looked, I thought, what's this? And it was a woman right behind me. I said, Dick, Dick, there's a woman there. You know, and he said, yeah, they don't have enough men. They're all killed. He'd been to Europe a couple times before, so they had women sweeping right in the men's room, and they had women here and there everywhere and so on. They don't think of sex or bodily functions in exactly the same way we do anyway. They're not nasty, but they used to have in France, you know, these places where the men would, would eliminate and women be there. And I remember boys would have their hand up on the wall and holding their girls' hands and the girl was smiling and talking, and he was on the other side doing his thing. I thought, wow, what's this? So many American women objected. They finally stopped having the, they called them pissoirs. You imagine uh, what that meant in our language. But anyway, uh, it was a different world over there. I'm not being nasty, just a different world. Millions of people were doing this as a normal thing. And Americans say, oh, gas, you might see someone naked. Oh, isn't that exciting? Well, what do you kids see? What do all your friends see on television every night? All kinds of sex, not just a part of a naked body, but people literally breaking God's law. Just seeing part of a naked body is not a sin as such, and women don't have the same drive in that way from what they see anyway. So it wasn't some wicked thing at all, just a different way of life. But I was seeing all these people blown up, and these men blown to bits, and the remnants of them, and the women having to do things women should never have to do, because the men had been so blown up in the Second World War. I'll tell you, it's going to be ten times worse, I really mean that, when the people come back weeping and repenting from the concentration camps of, of Europe at the end of the Great Tribulation because God says it will be a time so bad there's never been a time like it, no, nor ever shall be. People's bodies blown apart and those who are still alive come back limping and maybe some of them shaking and crying and they'll never look the same again in this life but believe me, you will be there, you young people and us older people, if we're humble and if we make it into God's kingdom and we can say, we love you, 
We want to help you. This world, and I was part of this world, we're all messed up and we learned the wrong way. And the real God of heaven is here. He's over in Jerusalem right now. Jesus the Christ, the true Christ of the Bible. And you see now the weather's going to get better. Everything is going to get better. Keep the Ten Commandments. We know a lot of you are taught about it, but you learn the short form as I did in the Methodist church. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The end, period. Then you go on to the next command. But the rest of the command says, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God and tells you the rest of it, how I made it as a sign of creation. You see, they don't memorize that part. They don't understand that part. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. They say, well, don't murder, but it's okay to kill the Germans in the First World War and the Russians in the Cold War and the Vietnamese in that war and the North Koreans now and the Islamists now and whoever comes along next. They don't understand. God has not opened their minds yet. But He will. He will. And all these good Protestants around here, you read it in the papers every day, uh, not only Jim Baker and Jim, uh, well, all these other bad guys, these preachers have gotten into sexual immorality, but church ministers all around here. I read the papers and you have this story about this guy and that guy and some other guy. Because they're sinners. They don't know God. That's why there's so many of them get into that. That's why there are tens of thousands of young people that have been abused by the Catholic priests. Because the Catholic priests, of course, don't know God. God has not opened their minds. They don't have God's Spirit. So they abuse these young boys. And later these young boys grow up and they're, they're, they're kind of perverted and they can't normally relate to women, some of them, and they feel their body and their mind have been hurt in a terrible way by having some older man misuse their bodies as a young boy, and then they sue the Catholic Church. So the Catholic Church of, the, of uh, what's his name, Cardinal Mahoney's area out there, tens of millions of dollars they're having to put out. The Portland Catholic Bishop, $163 million, I think it was recently, to put out to settle all these lawsuits. Here, there, everywhere, all over the United States. Why? Because God says it is not good for man to be alone. A man should normally have a wife. He normally should have a wife. He shouldn't have all that seething, driving urge that he can't use in a normal way. And so God says the doctrine of demons is forbidding to marry. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 calls it a doctrine of demons. And yet the largest so-called Christian on church has that is for all their religious people and get them into this way of life. And then they become perverted. Because the whole world is perverted. That's why they don't understand God. They have no knowledge of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And brethren, and young people, the more you live, the more you'll realize that a lot of you didn't grow up outside the church and fully get it. I got it because I was 19 years in this world. And I began to realize those guys don't have the answer. I said I had 20, 25 friends, and I mean it. 25 different fellows that I knew quite well, and some of them went to this or that or some other Protestant church. But I've seen them literally committing fornication, getting drunk, held them over the toilet while they were vomiting from their drunken fit and tried to keep them from uh, other things when they were drunk. You know, they didn't know God. They were nice guys. But God did not call them yet. So the world does not know God. But God is giving us this opportunity to straighten the world out. And as they come back in verse 4, they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise the former desolations. 
that is, the people that come back physically of Israel and we're going to guide them and teach them and help them. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. Remember, over and over it shows God's going to really more than repay you from this terrible suffering you've gone through. But you... And here I think it gets into kind of a duality with God's church. It's talking, of course, the Bible sometimes heads calls it Zion. Well, it's talking about the people of Israel, but also sometimes the spiritual people. Strangers shall stand and feed your flock. But you, verse, uh, getting back to verse uh, 6, here it is, shall be named priests of the Lord. Many of you young people will be priests of the Lord. I hope all of you will be kings and priests. Men shall call you servants of our God and even those physical ones who are left and yet begin to obey God in Israel shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of shame, you shall have double honor. God gave Job back double. That's what he's going to give to our people. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land not talking about up in heaven or in the kingdom of God as such, but back in the land of Israel under God's government. In their land they shall possess double, it repeats again, everlasting joy shall be theirs. That's a long time. Everlasting joy. That's what God wants. And brethren, remember God says a number of times in the Bible, directly and indirectly, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. So I say to you, black brethren and Latinos and others, God is not a respecter of persons. And you see that other examples in the Bible. As he blesses Israel, as they come back and learn his ways, he's going to bless you and bless you and bless your people. He's going to bless the whole world magnificently. But we've all got to go through either the tribulation or the day of the Lord and learn lessons where people get the smirk off them. Yeah, well, God, who cares about God? And here's the way I look at it, people think. Well, they're going to quit talking that way. Here's the way I look at it. When you come as a member of the God family and they're humbled and they have been beaten down in a way very few human beings have ever been beaten down, you will have their full attention and they will be willing to listen when you say, this is the way, walk you in it as God tells us we're going to do there, as you know, in Isaiah chapter 30. So let's understand that. We're called, brethren, to teach and to serve. And we're going to help these hurting people, people that are absolutely suffering. They're sorrowful. They need our help, and you'll have to be kind to them. You'll have to be merciful to them. You'll have to be patient with them, not smart aleck. Say, I'm sorry. I want to help you and learn that kindness and love today so you can give it them. So let's understand that. We'll help the whole world. And yet we're going to rule with power. It's all not all nicey-nice. I know a lot of you young men, you think, well, Jesus was just this weak character and we see pictures of Christ on the cross and he looked all weak and sickly and so on and uh, all this kind of thing. Well, that was not the Christ of the Bible. The Christ of the Bible was a young builder who used apparently stones in that part of the land and he must have been very powerfully built. And when he threw the money changers out of the temple and he said, you get these things out of here and rip their tables over and so on, you don't get the picture of a little weak needle. Can you please get out of here? <laughs> Mama says, you better be good. 
No, he didn't do that. He probably had a lot of physical strength and strength of personality and everything else, plus the fact they didn't know he was the Son of God. They wouldn't have killed him later. But they sent something powerful there in this man who was all man and his personality as well. This was the God of the Bible. This was the Jesus Christ we serve. And that Christ tells us also, brethren, if you want to turn to it, which I think is kind of inspiring in a way to those of us who are men and hopefully to the ladies too because we're all going to be spirit beings then with plenty of strength. Turn back to Psalm, the end of Psalms, chapter 149. Psalm 149 talking about our opportunity in God's kingdom. Psalm 149, verse 5, Let the saints be joyful in glory. And we're going to be in glory as members of God's family. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Oh, yeah, we're going to join Christ in dealing with these bad guys to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains. Yes, you're going to grab these bad guys if they're still around, those few, if they haven't been conquered totally by the time Christ returns, and some of them may not be, and literally bind them with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, the modern Hitlers and Mussolinis and Stalins and all those kind of guys, to execute judgment on them. This honor have all His saints. All of us. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the eternal. Hallelujah is that. That's what it means. Hallelujah. Praise. Yah is the name for God. Thanks be to God. So you men who want some excitement, you'll have some excitement. <laughs> you'll be a spirit being then, though. You won't be just a lone ranger out there hitting the guy in the face. You'll be a spirit being saying, you shut up, stop this, leave this little girl alone. And if he doesn't right then, of course, you can obliterate him like, you know, with atomic power, but you probably won't. You'll probably shake him and maybe teach him something. We don't know. Christ will have to guide us in that. But he's going to stop dead in his tracks one way or the other. Because we'll have the power to be sure he does. The absolute power to be sure he does. To begin to bring a depth of peace and law abiding. The law of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem. You know that. Isaiah chapter 2, Micah 4, all those scriptures we normally read you. Yes, the law of God. The Ten Commandments will be the basis of the whole way of life. And that's it. But we will deal with the bad guys with total power and total authority. So this responsibility is not just for sissies. <laughs> the true Jesus Christ of the Bible was a God of power. And the true Christ of the Bible, brethren, again, was the Lord God of the armies of Israel. And I think, again, I want you all to understand that, and I want you young people to understand that as you look toward the future and as you think about this church and the true Christ of the Bible. He died for you, but He's a Christ of great power. Turn back to the book of First. Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapter 17, if you would. 1 Samuel 17. This should be familiar to most of you, the story of David. Goliath comes out yelling at David and threatening him. He says, Am I a dog that you come out with sticks? Verse, 30, or verse 43 and he cursed David by his gods. He said, come on, little boy, I'll feed your flesh to the birds. You little shrimp. You know what he would have said in the language of his day, all that stuff. 
Then David said to the Philistine, verse 45, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. That is our God. That is the true Jesus Christ. Christ was there. He was David's immediate God. You know that. The Lord God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day, the Eternal will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give you the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, of the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Why? Why, brethren, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And my brethren, as we have the opportunity, as God gives us life and strength and the ability to do so, we in this work have got to let the world know that there is a real God, the Lord God of the armies of Israel. There is a creator God, a powerful God who is about to intervene and shake the earth to the degree we're able in time to come. The real shaking will come from God but through our voice, through our message, through our program, through this church, we should have a great impact before it's all over. And I pray that we will. If we all cry out to God, I'm sure He will give us that opportunity. So let's understand that. You youth, remember, you do not be, need to be ashamed to worship and to serve the true Christ of the Bible. You young men, Christ was tough. King David was tough, and you know that. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. So we're not talking about sissy stuff. We're talking about the real God of the Bible. Yet we need to inculcate his ways and his laws into our life in every way we possibly can and let Christ live his life within us, which I say over and over. My favorite verse, as you know, you young people should know that by now. I hope you do. A lot of you don't. Here you go. Galatians 2, verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ, Paul wrote. Yet I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live with the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You let Christ live his same life in you through the Holy Spirit. And that's what it's all about. But it's not sissy stuff. Is preparing to be a real king, a real priest, a real ruler over five cities or ten cities. As you read in Luke 19, verses 11 to about 25 there, Jesus' parable, you know, if you overcome so much, then you're ruler over five cities. If you overcome more, you're, you're ruler over ten cities. Example after example of what the kingdom of God is all about. Not doing nothing up in heaven not rolling around heaven all day, but ruling over cities and nations, real cities, real nations here on this earth. Some of you are from the south. You'd like to rule over Atlanta, San Antonio, whatever. Some of you from the north would like to rule over New York and straighten out the Big Apple. Needs a lot of straightening out. <laughs> Some of you from the west would like to straighten out the queers in Los Angeles or San Francisco. God will give you that opportunity if you're in his kingdom, to help straighten out some city at least, and he'll work it out the right way. Christ must live in you, though, to be able to do that so you can teach the right way. When I used to teach the, and Mr. Lambert Greer, and as he talked about class, and I thought that was interesting that I gave him a bad grade, yet he came out to be one of our finest men because he came from the Catholic Church and didn't know the Bible at first. But when I used to teach the uh, advanced public 
speaking in homiletics class, as I'm sure he'll remember, and Mr. Weston, and perhaps Mr. Ames as well, I used to say, I don't know if you remember this or not, Mr. Ames, but I think I did every year, I'd say, what's the most important thing for a minister? Technical Bible knowledge? Nope. A good voice like Mr. Armstrong and Ted Armstrong? Nope. Wonderful personality? No. The ability to work with people? No. You went on and on. What? One word. Character. Character. A minister, first of all, has to have character. Otherwise, the old saying comes into effect eventually. What you are screams at me so loudly that I cannot hear what you are saying. When any one of our ministers starts to turn aside into adultery or drunkenness or whatever it is, and people begin to realize this guy is sassy, he's smart aleck, he's carnal, he's worldly, then the effect of his sermons goes right down the tube. I don't care how great his personality is or his technical Bible knowledge. You've got to practice what you preach. And so, brethren and young people, you need to practice what you're going to preach. You need to live what you're going to teach in tomorrow's world as a king or a priest. You need to do what we tried to do at Ambassador College and did not succeed perfectly. But to follow Mr. Armstrong's motto, recapture true values. Recapture true values. A whole way of life. And I challenge all of you to try to do this. And through the L4T program, through the summer camps that we have, through the other activities for the youth, through our magazines and other programs that we're starting even now and a possible even living university that we might start over the Internet in due time with your prayers and your support. Those things are being thought of and prayed about and planned to the degree that we can, going to do everything we can to reach out to young people and to the whole world. But you've got to practice it. You've got to live it. You can't just know the stuff. You've got to live it. And we need to live it in the way we dress, in the way we talked. The Apostle Paul said, let no corrupt speech proceed out of your mouth. When I grew up, I used all kinds of semi-dirty and wicked stuff and heard dirty jokes all day long and Christ's name taken in vain in high school and the football team. And I worked up in the woods in Oregon, parts of two different summers as a lumberjack. And they had the name of women's sex parts for this particular equipment and this type of rope that you tie or something. And this and this through the whole thing. And the young men, ha ha, and they used these terms. They thought that was real cute. Well, who made women's bodies? God did. Who made our bodies? God did. Why do you do that stupid stuff? That's like a teenager. But some of these men never grew out of being a 12-year-old in their brains. That's their problem. Because the world is sick. And so they do those stupid things. They use cheap language and cheap ways of talking about sex, cheap ways of talking about other human beings, putting others down, denigrating other human beings made in the image of God, and all this kind of thing. But again, when you start picking on a whole class of people in a real put-down way, then you're breaking God's law. You're not loving your neighbors yourself. So the all through, the way you live, the way you act, the way you speak, the way you think about sex, the way you love your neighbor as yourself, the way you worship God. Do you worship God the way you want to worship God? No, you should worship God the way He tells you to worship Him. 
in spirit and in truth. And the way you worship him is described in this book, not in your imagination. So we have to understand, of course, all those things. Learn to recapture true values in every phase of your life. Then your nation, your city, and tomorrow's world will reflect the God of creation and the right way of life. And as the people return from slavery, you will have the opportunity, again, to comfort them, to heal them, literally, physically. God will allow healing to happen right then, I'm sure. The time of restoration of all things. Be healed. And millions, no doubt, will begin to be healed rather quickly to teach them and to bless them. Say, I love you. John or Mary, you were put down, you were raped, you were beat up. The whole side of your face is gone. You're a human being made in God's sight. And God loves you. And I love you. And we want to help you. And help these suffering people who will feel less than human in some cases. Because you love them. And you learn to love others now. Forgive each other. Help each other. Love each other. Build that into your very being and the way you think and the way you act and the way you live. You've got to do it now. Practice what you preach. The whole way of life. In 1 Corinthians 6, we read about something that I often talk about. Another key thing. But I must get back to this because this is the basis of so much, brethren. So much. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament Verse 1, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? How dare you go out to some worldly court? Some guy down the street may not even believe in God. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that most of you young people, as you walk with God, if you try and overcome and God will be with you if you do, you will help rule this whole earth? You will judge the world, and if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels, even the heavenly hosts? We're going to make decisions about what happens and so on, how to manage them. How much more things that pertain to this life? That a problem with the fornicator in the previous chapter. Paul said, wherefore my decision is. He said, put him out, mark him, deal with him until he repents. Is that love? Yes. Your child is horrible, spank him. Wake him up. Maybe he'll repent. If you deal with them the right way, you need to do that in the church too. There's an attitude of guidance. There's an attitude of government in the church. And Mr. Armstrong said over and over, and he's not perfect and he made mistakes. And as you know, we don't worship him, but we honor him. He said again and again, the whole thing is government. Now, he meant that from one point of view. Paul said back in 1 Corinthians 6, first, take the shield of faith. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, three things, love, hope, and, and charity. Uh, love, hope, faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is love. So there are different ways of looking at these things. But from one point of view, the greatest thing there is in the church the thing we're learning to do, the thing we're training to do, the thing we're planning to do, the reason we're called now to do is government. God could call you later on. Why is He calling you now? As I told you young people the other day, He's calling you now in this life primarily to help do the work and also to prepare now to be kings and priests in tomorrow's world. 
Otherwise, he could call you later. Government is very important. We're not just trying to, you know, wave the LGC sword, but we in the LCG, the Living Church of God, do practice and teach church government more fully and more correctly than any other church on the earth. And that is important. We think it's very important. That's why we're here. We're not here just to play church. We're here to learn how to govern. And if we get in groups and practice and have debates and vote and have committees and what do you think and all horse trading around like the politicians in Washington, we're not learning God's government that way. No way can we learn God's government that way. We're here to learn God's form of government and practice it. And that's what we're trying to do. So understand that. That's a very important part of preparing to be kings or priests is to learn that, understand it, appreciate it, respond to it. For we are now in training today. And you young people are now in training to be kings and priests a few years from now. So all of you, brethren, hold up your heads. Be grateful that you can be part of the church that is doing the work as powerfully as we are and that is really learning to prepare for the government of God, the time of restoration of all things all over this earth, the real kingdom, the real government that's about to be set up and that you can be prepared to be part of that. Turn now, if you would, back to Luke chapter 21. Luke, if you would, chapter 21. And I'm going to begin reading here. Uh, There's a whole long prophecy here that most of you know. It talks about the same thing Matthew does. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, pestilences, fearful sights and great signs. That fearful sights can mean terrors or terrorist activities. He describes coming, verse 11. Then he describes that persecution will come. And he says in verse 22, let's pick up the theme, this final prophecy, the end of the age. Luke 21, 22. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things that are written may be fulfilled. Back in where we started in Acts 3, it talks about how all the prophets have talked about this coming time. And here Luke says, all these things will be fulfilled at the time of the end. But woe to those who are pregnant, nursing babies. There will be great distress in the land. And we know that's dual and obviously refers to our nation as well. And wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and be wedded captive to all the nations. Our people, slaves, and some people just don't look. They try to put it together. Though it means just the Jews. It means and a separate thing. Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles at the time of the end. Once again, taken over. And there will be signs, heavenly signs, and the sun, moon, and stars, distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, four massive hurricanes going through Florida, Katrina hitting the Gulf Coast in a horrible way, the greatest tragedy of its kind in American history, and the horrible tsunami in Southeast Asia, and the greatest one of that sort in modern times. Men's hearts failing them for fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Al Gore says it's all global warming. (laughs) Well, global warming may be part of it. You think God didn't know that global warming would come? Of course He knew that. Global warming may be part of it. Other things may be part of it. 
But God said these things wouldn't happen for whatever reason 2,000 years before Al Gore was ever born. Or these other guys. So let's understand these things are going to happen. And then they will see, verse 27, the Son of Man coming in the cloud. He is coming again, our King, our God. The Lord God of the armies of Israel is coming back with great glory. And when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads. Don't be sad. Be grateful for your redemption draws near. Our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, is coming back to save us and to save the whole world who is also our King, our Head, our Lord, who lives His life in us. And He spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree, and when you see it budding, you know that summer is now near, very near. So you likewise, when you see these things happening, and we see some, not all these things, but we see now some of these things beginning to happen. Know that the kingdom of God, is the kingdom of God a sweet thought in your mind? No, no. You know, the literal government is coming. The kingdom of God, Christ's return, is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation, when these things begin to happen big time, will by no means pass away. And again, I say to you, younger people under 30, this is your generation. You're going to live from one generation, from one world, right into another, if you keep on living a normal lifespan. This generation will by no means pass away till all things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. My brethren, let's believe the Bible. Let's believe. Let's get excited. This is going to happen. You are called to be leaders. You're called to be kings and priests. You need to stand for something. You need to recapture the true values. You need to let Jesus Christ live the true Christian life in your life to change you, to motivate you. You need to get involved enthusiastically in the work of the great God. And you need to seek first the kingdom of God, His coming government, His righteousness, His way, above everything else, to be involved in the most exciting crusade in human history. You're part of it. You can now be fully involved in it. I pray that you will.